Welcome to the Pet Project Podcast with Sarah, the creator of PetProjectBlog.com. This is your weekly dose of news, views, and activities to help you strengthen the human-animal bond. I'm Steve, producer of the show. On today's podcast, I ask Sarah about the best ways to make your garden pet-friendly. But first, let's hear a recap of the posts from last week on Pet Project. There was an update about the story a while back. It came to light that a bunch of sled dogs in Whistler, B.C. had basically been slaughtered. And the way it came to light is kind of strange. It had to do with workman's comp, a filing by the guy who had done the executions, basically, for basically kind of PTSD from slaughtering like over 100 sled dogs over, I think, a two-day period. Pretty gruesome. The RSPCA up there had conflicting information about whether they had been contacted by this guy previously. One person at the RSPCA said that he had contacted them, I think, at least two times before the slaughter happened, trying to find a way to deal with the surplus of animals. The director of the RSPCA said that he had not contacted them at all. So there's some question about what was really going on there. The update is that now that the ground has thawed, they are bringing in a bunch of forensic scientists to exhume the bodies of the sled dogs to find out what happened to them, how they died. They're bringing in some top names. One of the scientists that's coming in was part of the detective team that uh, searched the Picton Farm for those serial killings of the prostitutes in Vancouver, B.C. So they look like they're taking this pretty seriously. I think that some people are, are kind of skeptical that the RSPCA is basically trying to cover their ass. I don't know. But it'll be interesting but also sad to find out what happened to these dogs so this is a good thing progress is being made on the case itself yeah hopefully it's real progress and not just you know publicity to make the rspca look good it would be really troubling if this guy had approached the rspca and they didn't do anything Uh, there is question about they're not responsible for taking care of a business's animals but If this guy approached them twice and then ended up having to slaughter these animals, there's there's a disconnect there. And it has started a movement. There was such fallout and such bad publicity about this that it affected the tourism to Whistler um, and definitely to the sled dog business. You know, people would go on tours. If you're going to use animals for your business, they're realizing that there has to be some kind of better guidelines and that the government needs to be involved to some extent to make sure that they're being taken care of, you know, properly. I also wrote about how to safely travel with your pets, specifically dogs. A lot of people are starting to think about buckling up their dog because that's been kind of in the news. There are a series of German crash test films where they used dummy dogs that are weighted to to mimic dogs and did different crash scenarios, and it shows what happens in those situations. And I think one of the most startling is what happens when a dog is in a crate or a cat is in a crate, one of those you know kind of heavy-duty plastic crates belted in in the seat, in the back seat, 
it basically disintegrates when the animal hits the side of the crate. So it doesn't really do much in the way of protecting your animal. And another way that people tend to transport their animals is in the very back of, say, their SUV or their um, station wagon. And it people are realizing that that's where the crumple zone is in your car, which is an engineered space to protect the occupants of the car. So you're, the front of your car and the back of your car typically have crumple zones. So that part scrunches up and the rest of it stays whole. And if you stick your dogs in the back where the crumple zone is, they're going to get squished in the crumple zone. So this is to lead up to a post about our favorite harness and just how to travel safely with your pets this summer. Now, your Friday fun video yeah. was one of the funniest <laughs> videos I've seen for a while. Yeah. And uh, I imagine our listeners are one of the 8 million, 9 million who have right. already seen it. Right. But, um, you know, if we could just reenact it a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll be the dog. Okay. And you'd be the owner. Okay. I'll try. You know, in the refrigerator? Yeah. <laughs> there was this bacon. Uh-huh. <laughs> I made this this great sandwich with bacon and some, bacon? Yep, and some beef. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and then I ate it. Oh. <laughs> Everybody has to go to PetProjectBlog.com right now and yep. watch this video. It's really good. And I usually don't like people voices a lot of the time with animals. This one was really, really well done. And actually saying that, I'm reminded that another one that I really like where their people voices is Patty Cake with these two cats. I haven't seen it. You got to check it out because okay. it's another funny one. It's, um, I think if you search a uh, pet project for Patty Cake and cats, you'll get it. I'll put a link for it in the, um, the podcast post for this podcast. Then I had a whole backlog of videos that I just couldn't wait weeks to get out because these were some good ones and I just didn't want to sit on them for that long. One of them was a little bunny who was found with his brother by this family and the little one of the bunnies that they named Joe was paraplegic and the son who I just am totally smitten with drew this great drawing of the little cart that he uh, wanted to make for the rabbit or the bunny and he called it an ATB an all-terrain bunny mm-hmm. system which I thought was just <laughs> hysterical mm-hmm. so there's the uh, video about that then there's another one I had posted a number of videos of horses with balls oh yeah yeah <laughs> which, like a giant soccer ball yeah. yeah and there's one of I think he's like the smallest stallion it's one of those miniature horses with a giant ball of his own mm-hmm. and I had no idea that horses were so playful and he's just hysterical with it just running around and biting it and poking it it's a hoot and then the last one is the cat Maru which a lot of people will know he's the Love one who Maru. yeah box he, obsessed yeah the box obsessed cat who's like he's always diving into the boxes and he walks around with like a bubble wrap envelope on his head i love this cat and this is one where they have taken a box and on the outside of the box they've drawn various hairstyles and they've cut out a little face hole the size of his face and of course he walks right up to it 
and pokes his face through the box Mm -hmm. and tries the different hairstyles, and he's just adorable. So that was the Friday fun. It's cute. Yep. Good week, sir. Yeah, thank you. Spring is here. Yes. Gardening is happening. And urban gardens are becoming more and more popular now. Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, lots of people in cities and suburban areas have pets. How do you get the two to coexist? It takes a little planning and some work, but you really can have a very nice garden, both ornamental and edible, and still have a pet-friendly place for your dogs. What's the number one thing you got to do? I think work with your dog, like understand how they use your yard. It's a lot easier to work with them than against them. So some of the things that at least our dog does, I think a lot of dogs do this, they really want to patrol the perimeter of the yard. So if you can give a little bit of a buffer space between your plantings and your fence, everybody's going to be happier. They won't be tromping over things and you won't end up with damaged plants. Another idea is instead of trying to keep them from walking like on a certain path through your grass, maybe making that path an actual path with pavers and things like that. So instead of, you know, scolding your dog or putting up a temporary fence or something like that, just put some pavers down and, you know, be done with it. And then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Another thing, dogs are going to pick the coolest place in the yard temperature wise to lie down no matter what you have planted there. So consider just giving into that and removing the plants from that area and letting your dog have that space to lounge around in the the cool dirt. I actually just did that this weekend with saffron. There's a, a spot in our yard next to the patio that I had dug up a lot of the plants, just moving them around. And it was empty, and she had really picked that place as a primo spot to lounge around when we were working in the yard. I decided I was just going to make that a space for her to lounge. So I dug up any of the remaining plants, bulbs that were down under there, and I kind of made a little hollow so she wouldn't want to dig. And then I covered it with sand so that she wouldn't get all dirty, and she loves it. It's already her spot. So... And tell us again who Saffron is. Saffron is our uh, reservation dog, our rescue dog that we got from the Yakima Reservation in um, central Washington. She's about seven and a half, and our best guess is that she's probably part Border Collie, part Blue Heeler, probably some lab in there, a lot of herding instinct. So, Is she a digger? She was. I think every dog has some digging in them. Some of them have even more, especially terriers and things like that that were bred for going after vermin. They tend to be big diggers. And I was just reading that beagles also are notoriously big diggers. What's another tip for your garden? If you have the space, I think having a dedicated area for your dog to uh, do their thing, that's that's the cue for saffron for going potty is do your thing. I didn't want to like be saying out in public, you know, go pee, go poop. So we just say, do your thing. So having a dedicated space for that, we don't have room in our garden for that, but I would, I'd love to have it. And ideally what you would have is a little area set aside that you could put a border around 
and that would be covered with, you know, gravel or wood chips or something that was easy to clean up or easy to replace that you could hose off, that sort of thing. That's a great way to keep them from doing their thing in your grass or in your flower beds, things like that. So that's another idea. When I was a kid, my friend would tell his golden retriever, go she-she, go (laughs) she-she. See, I like that better, you know? Um, Yeah. All right, now tell me about this concept of a, a high spot where they can get a good view of the yard and sort of survey their domain. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, I don't know if this helps control behavior problems. I suppose it might. If they feel like they can really see their yard, you might avoid some of the problems of like, I don't know, barking at the gate, that sort of thing, barking at people out on the street. I know that Saffron and a lot of other dogs like to look at the yard before they go down in it. I don't know if reservation dogs tend to be more cautious than other dogs. I kind of suspect they are. But she really likes to look at the yard before she goes down in it. So I've cleared the grape that had been growing around our back porch so that she can see better. We have had raccoons in our backyard that they're pretty hostile and very unafraid. And so it's better for all of us if she knows what's in the backyard in the dark. It might even be safer for her. Yeah, exactly. Plus, she really likes it. (laughs) She just loves to sit back there and and see what's going on. You mentioned that Saffron is probably part Border Collie. Isn't it part of the Border Collie's instincts to herd sheep and that kind of thing? Right. And I think that some of her watching the lay of the land may have to do with that, that instinct just to watch what's going on around her. She definitely likes to sit on the back porch and just survey everything around her like herding and guarding breeds watching flocks of sheep you know down the hillside the houses in our neighborhood have daylight basements so our house is actually kind of up above the fence line so she not only watches our yard she watches our neighbor's yards too Mm -hmm. and she has a range of about two and a half yards in each direction that she guards (laughs) and watches what's going on What if your house is at ground level and you sort Mm -hmm. of are on a flat area? Can you build a mound or build a a lifeguard chair or something (laughs) like that? Um, I think your dog would be in heaven. I think just a clear space on the deck, if you have a deck, you know, allowing them to get up on a bench, just allowing them to get access to a high spot in your yard. And we have so much fun watching Saffron have fun that if we had more space, I would definitely have like a hill for her, a mound that she could sit on. For one thing, I think it'd be more comfortable than sitting on a porch. Now, a popular organic fertilizer for Mm -hmm. your garden is manure. Yeah. And other things, which I'm sure smell fantastic to the dog, but would smell horrible in your living room. Right. And also, is there anything you can do about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, There are some things. This, again, is one of those things where you are fighting a powerful instinct. And chicken manure, I mean, all of those things. Fish emulsion. um, I remember spraying our yard, um, the vegetables, with fish emulsion. And it wasn't until I was done that I realized I had basically, I could have sprayed raw meat all over the garden and she would have been less interested. I mean, the fish emulsion, she just was like heaven. Needless to say, I am very careful about using fish emulsion anymore. But yeah, there are some things that you can do to prevent them from totally wrecking your yard and also bringing really bad stink into your house. (laughs) One of the things that people suggest is not letting your dog see you digging. 
I don't really follow that because I like having her out there so much that I don't keep her inside when I'm out in the backyard. Plus, in the Pacific Northwest, sunshine is hard to come by, and we're out there any chance we can get to soak up some sun, and I'm not going to keep her inside when it's sunny. So um, one of the things that I do is anytime I... Pretty much any time I do anything to the soil, just because when you even, if you just dig and don't even put any amendment in it, it's appealing to the dogs because you bring up new scents and stuff of like rotting vegetation, that sort of thing. So anytime I dig, and especially if I put compost or anything down, I lay chicken wire over it. Another thing that you can do and that I've used pretty successfully is to sprinkle um, dried chili flakes all around because a snoot full of that is going to be a pretty big deterrent. It also works for keeping neighborhood cats out of your vegetable beds, um, keep them from pooping in there. And that's not harmful. No. I mean, it's it's it wouldn't make them happy. Usually they can smell it before they ever get close to it and will avoid it. And the other thing I do, because dogs are really visual, they understand the concept of borders. So... I put in some of those temporary fences that you can get. They like fold up kind of accordion style. You can get them at any garden supply place, pretty cheap. I set those up around any area that I've, you know, put manure or whatever down. And that helps keep her out. Part of it is also that I've trained her that a barrier means you don't get to go in. She understands now that she's not allowed to get into the vegetable beds. She's not allowed to get into the flower beds. And that took a little bit of work. I mean, you you do have to work with your dog. They can't read your mind. They also don't understand English. So you have to, you know, do some work. So correct them when they start going into the flower beds. Praise them when they don't. If you just take the opportunity of when you're out in the yard and do that, you don't have to make a big deal out of it. And they'll start picking up on what you're talking about. Most people have their gardens in the backyard Mm -hmm. where it's more protected. But especially uh, around where we live, people are using the parking strips, which is great. Right. uh, And using their front yard, replacing their lawn actually with gardens. Right. Uh, Would you do something differently with your backyard versus your front yard with regards to helping your dog and the garden coexist? Right. Yeah. Um, I think the main problem that people have when they're gardening in the front, and I think it's wonderful that people are doing this. It's it's just so cool to see. The biggest problem is people walking their dogs and those dogs peeing on your tender plants. And if you think a little bit about the way a dog thinks, you can do a lot to prevent your plants getting burned up by dog pee. Male dogs tend to mark things that are close to the path that they're walking on. And they tend to mark the kind of like the, the first vertical surface that they encounter. If you put rocks at the corners of your flower beds or your vegetable beds, they're going to hit those before they go into the middle of your flower bed and mark something there. If you plant a new tree and, you know, you don't want the roots to get burned by every dog peeing on it, again, it's not the prettiest thing, but you could put up some of those temporary little fences, they'll tend to mark that rather than climb over the fence to pee on the tree. You use the term burned. Explain that. The urine burns plants. I can't, I'm not sure if it's acidic or basic, but it scorches them. That's why you get burned spots in your lawn from dogs peeing on it. 
And if you plant, you know, anything that isn't a woody plant, it's going to get burned. Also, you don't want dogs peeing on your vegetables. That's just nasty. Yuck. Elevated planters also, you know, unless it's a Great Dane, they're going to have a hard time peeing two feet up in the air. They're going to mark the corners of your planters. You can also do the same sort of thing in your own backyard if you have a male dog. Or, and sometimes female dogs mark stuff. Same thing. Put them at the corners of beds. Just think about where dogs pee. What are some other things you can do to help keep your dog safe in the garden? Mm-hmm. I haven't mentioned it, but obviously keep pesticides, fertilizers, anything like that away from your dog. Don't underestimate their ability to find it. Same thing goes for the compost pile. If you have compost, make sure it's somewhere where your dog can't get to it. Make sure it has some kind of a barrier around it or is raised up somewhere where they can't get to it. Depending on what you put in there, there could be a lot of choking hazards. So you don't want to do that. Also, it'd be messy. The other thing is something that we actually had to deal with yesterday. We had a sunny day and we're out gardening all day. We had to put up a little bit of the temporary fencing. I realized that in low light and especially at night, it wasn't going to be visible to saffron. And since it was a barrier that hadn't been there before, I tied some strips of white fabric to it so that she would see it. Really glad that I did because the first time I saw her go out in the yard after I had put it up in the evening, she almost walked right into it until she saw the the white fabric. So if you're putting guide wires up, to help support a tree or anything like that. If you're staking stuff, think about your dog and put something up so that they can see it and don't run into it. If they're being rambunctious in the backyard, they could really injure themselves. Also, be careful about planting woody things or thorny things along paths that are like at eye level for your dog because they're dorks, they run into stuff, and you could really end up with a bad injury if you're not careful. And the last thing, this hadn't occurred to me, and I read about it in one of the um, articles that I was looking at about gardening with your pets, make sure that your deck isn't filled with splinters. Um, You may not be walking on it in your bare feet, but your dog is, and that could be a real irritant. It could lead to hot spots if your dog starts licking their paws, really could kind of blow up into something bigger than just a little splinter. So make sure that your decking is dog-friendly, too. Or you can do some DIY deck booties for your dog. And every time you (laughs) send your dog out on the deck, all you have to do is put four booties on it. Right. That'll that'll be awesome. mm -hmm. If you do decide to do that, I, as I have said before, introduce it slowly. Lots of praise. And send in your DIY steps to petprojectblog.com. Yeah. And the pictures of your dog in their booties. One of the first times I saw your backyard Mm -hmm. and Saffron going out into it, (laughs) she went straight for a corner of the yard that was full of sand. And I I was like, oh, what is that she's going after? She must, you know, smell a raccoon or something Mm -hmm. back there. And you said, no, that's her digging pit. Yep. I said, digging pit? Yeah. I want a digging pit. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Tell me about this concept. Well, it started because, and I've written about this on the website, I agreed to be part of a garden tour, like in a total moment of insanity and lack of judgment. And then I was committed to it, and Eric and I did all this work in the fall. And then, I think it was in February, we adopted Saffron, who didn't know anything about gardens or garden tours and didn't care, and thought, 
the whole yard was hers to do whatever she wanted to in it. So she would dig little holes in the grass and I'm like going, okay, I've got to keep this yard looking good till June. Cause I told people that they, you know, should come look at it and it's not going to look good if this dog keeps digging all these little holes. And I had read about people giving a dedicated area for their dog to dig and thought it's better than nothing. Let's give it a go. And I'm so glad I did. It's one of the best things I ever did in the garden. And it's one of the things that people comment on the most. The idea is that digging is an instinct. You can't override it in a dog. So redirect it to an appropriate space and everybody will be happier. And she loves it. She absolutely loves this place. So it's the place where she's allowed to dig to her heart's content. And she digs like crazy in there. She has so much fun. How did you choose the location for the digging pit? Well, part of it was so that it would, you know, kind of be out of the way. Also not really visible because it's not exactly pretty. You know, it's just a big hole in the ground. But I also wanted it to be a place that was friendly for her. So it gets morning sun, so it's not chilly out there. And then it gets afternoon shade. So it's not, you know, an oven. It's a nice, cool respite for her. She digs these nice little burrows and curls up in them. Does the dog need to be encouraged to dig there? Well, I think it depends on the dog. She was still incredibly timid. I mean, this was, you know, within weeks of when we got her. And, you know, she had all the fear issues that I've talked about before and that I've written about. She was suspicious and worried about whatever it was that I was doing over there in that corner. So I did a whole lot of happy talking about how we were digging and it's so much fun. And I said the word dig and digging a lot because I wanted her to associate those words with that corner of the yard and what we were doing. So I showed her what I was doing when I was making the digging pit. And if I had more space, I think I'd probably make it about a four by four digging pit. How big is it now, do you think? Um, it's about three by four. It'd be better if it had a little bit more space. She's about a 55-pound dog, and she's about the size of a, a border collie, I guess. So that kind of gives you an idea. So the first thing that I did was I started digging down into the soil to loosen it up. I went about two and a half feet down, and the whole idea is to set things up so that your dog succeeds. That's something that I've said before. You want to make the the area appealing to your dog. You want the um, material that's in the digging pit to be appealing to the dog. So no sharp rocks or anything like that that they're going to, you know, not like to dig in. So I kind of fluffed up the dirt and I was looking at the the content of the dirt and I decided to add some sand to it, not too much, but some so that she wouldn't be completely filthy when she was lying down in there. Don't do too much because then you lose that kind of cooling aspect of soil, which I think they really find appealing, but a little bit, you know, definitely helps with how much they track into your house. The other thing that I did was I put a little border around just, um, This kind of garden border, I think it's recycled plastic that you can get at Home Depot. Nothing expensive, but it's the same idea that dogs are visual. They understand borders, and, you know, you say you can dig in this area. You can't dig outside of this area. Do you have to use a particular type of sand? Um, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, just garden sand. So you don't want to, like, go dig sand off of a beach or something. You wouldn't want to find sand. 
You no. want medium grit yeah, sand. Yeah, you want kind of a medium grit sand. Yeah, because fine sand is just going to just be stuck all over to them. So, yeah, you want like a medium grit garden sand. I just got like a bag of sand at the garden supply store that we go to. All right, so now you have a digging pit. You've got some soil in there. You've got some sand in there. Mm-hmm. Is it done? What else would you do to make it attractive to your dog? Some dogs probably would just be thrilled with it, but, you know, Saffron was like, okay, what are we doing here? And it doesn't hurt to really reinforce stuff. So even if your dog gets it, I think it's a good idea to do some of the other things that I did. So with Saffron watching, you know, I made her sit there and wait. I buried some new but inexpensive toys, vinyl toys in there that wouldn't rot or anything. I buried um, some pieces of rawhide in there for her and I think I buried like a greenie or some kind of a dental chew that wouldn't have sand stuck to it and that wasn't something that I knew was going to be sitting out there for a long time so it's not like it was going to get all wet and rotty and gross I knew that she was going to be digging it up right away and I had her watch me the whole time and I was you know excited and you know talking to her about it and then I turned her loose but she was such a cautious dog that she kind of like she sniffed around but wouldn't dig. Mm. So I was like, okay, we're going to dig in here. So I got the trowel and I was digging and I'm like, come on, come on. And then she started digging. And from then on, she totally understood, you know, what it was. And it's so much fun to watch her rooting in there and working to find things. Even though she completely understands it now and uses her digging pit, I still occasionally surreptitiously bury stuff out there when she's not out there. And then when she does come out with me, sometimes I say, you know, find it. And she, you know, perks up and I'll point to her digging pit and she'll run over there and and dig up whatever it is. Sometimes if I know that we're just going to be out in the yard a lot that week or something, I won't say anything and just let her find it whenever it is that she finds it. I'm careful about what I plant or bury out there. I don't, you know, leave stuff that's just going to get nasty or spoiled or anything like that. And if she does forget to dig something up, which has happened, I have seen her find like a nasty old piece of rawhide that had been out there all winter. I get those back from her and give her something in its place because God knows what it's done over the winter. And just to really get her to understand that that's where I wanted her to dig and that It was a great thing when she dug in there. Our office has a window that overlooks our backyard, and I would check on her um, whenever she was in the yard when I wasn't out there. And if she was ever in her digging pit, I would praise her, which surprised her every now and then when this random voice came out the window saying, good dog. (laughs) But you want to reinforce their use of that digging pit. And anytime she did make a mistake and dig in the yard, like in the lawn or something like that, I would redirect her to her digging pit and say, go deep there. And she totally gets it. She loves that thing. And, you know, it takes a lot of energy to dig. It's a great way for your dog to expend energy if you have a very energetic dog or you didn't, you know, get to take them for a long walk that day or something. It's a great way for them to expend their energy. Is there anything you need to do to maintain the digging pit? I fluff it up. You know, so because it gets packed down in the winter with all the rain and everything. And I also sometimes she this is one reason why 
I would want a slightly bigger one. She can be really enthusiastic in digging and that dirt can go flying out of the digging pit area. So I, you know, put the dirt back into the digging pit, but it's pretty low maintenance. You know, one of the things that she does is she'll dig, dig, dig on one side and pile up the dirt on the other. And then she'll turn around and dig, dig, dig in that side. So it's, she kind of regulates it herself. I also make sure that they're, the neighborhood cats aren't using it for a litter box because she doesn't need to be eating their poop. How do you do that? I just kind of check and see what's going on. I suppose if you have a real problem with cats um, coming into your yard, you could put chicken wire over it when it's not in use. But I think that the neighborhood cats pretty much stay out of our yard now because they know we have a dog. So it's not that big of a problem anymore. Let's talk about cats for a second. Is Mm -hmm. there anything you can do in your garden to make it fun for cats? Since I don't really think you should have your cats outside, I don't really have advice on that. Really? They are the number one killer of birds. They are decimating songbird populations. Cats that live outside have considerably shorter lifespans. I think if you keep your cat on a leash... Or if a lot of people are starting to make cat runs for their cats, I think that's a wonderful idea. I think it's great for cats to have sunshine and that sort of thing, but they just aren't built to survive very well in an urban setting. The stray cats, well, or the the outdoor cats that I've seen in our neighborhood, very few of them are in good shape. There was one that had no collar that was going around who had skin cancers, so white cats or cats with white fur, he was a an orange and white cat. They're very susceptible to skin cancers. They get tumors, they itch, and then they start um, destroying their ears and things because they're scratching. They're much more susceptible to parasites. They can be killed by raccoons. People really underestimate what raccoons can do. Um, I think that three of my neighbor's cats were killed by a raccoon. It's pretty gruesome. And then, again, the decimation of the bird populations. Cats kill more birds than wind turbines or things like that. It's it's pretty amazing, the numbers. So I'm not real inclined to make my yard cat-friendly. But because I think that it's good for cats to have exposure outside, we do have a window box, and I have the materials to build a second one. So this is a screened-in window box for our cats that they go out and actually they sit out there when we're gardening and watch what we're doing. Uh, They get sunshine and fresh air. They get to watch the birds without killing them. Uh, There's no risk of them getting hurt by a raccoon or anything like that. So I'm happy for them to have, you know, fresh air and sunshine, but Hmm. I just wouldn't let them roam loose. You were showing me on your site green roof dog houses. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about those. I don't know why I'm kind of obsessed with these. Maybe it's because it's a little house with plants on the roof. They're cute. There's somebody who's selling them, but and they're beautiful, but they're over $1,000 a piece, and I'm just not spending that much on a doghouse. Also, I, just as a, a qualifier, I don't think that dogs should be living in a backyard, so in some ways they don't I don't think they really need a doghouse, but I know that um Saffron would really like a space that 
kind of like a little a den for her for when we're out there. So I may actually be making one of these green roof dog houses. And a green roof is actually a living roof. That It's a roof that is planted completely with plants. So some buildings are starting to be retrofitted for those. Other buildings, new buildings are being built with them. It's a great way to obtain rainwater. It's a good way to insulate a building. It's a good way to counteract um, heat islands in urban settings. So places where there's a lot of asphalt and stuff absorbs a lot of heat, which affects the air quality and, and people's need for air conditioning and things like that. So this is a good way to kind of dissipate some of the negative things about urban living. And I totally know that a green roof doghouse is not going to save the environment. It's more of a way for people to start thinking about green roofs and where they might be able to apply them, maybe to your garden shed, um, something like that. It's a, it's a small way to start. It's also a conversation piece for people who come over you know, to your yard for a barbecue or whatever. It's also cute. So, and it's also another space that you can plant something. It's kind of like just making an elevated planter. That's the way I look at it. And making a nice cool spot for your dog. And I have two DIY projects for making a green roof. Um, One is for like a green roof veranda. It's open-sided. And then the other one is an actual dog house. So they're closed sides. But they're really easy to maintain. They're neat looking. They're just cool. (laughs) <laughs> so you can tell your dinner guests mm-hmm. uh, the oregano in the spaghetti sauce was grown on top of my doghouse. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and actually herbs are a really good thing to grow there because you want something that um, will need good drainage because you don't want a lot of water sitting there. Sedum is another plant that people use a lot. It's like a low water, pretty uh, fleshy plant so that it, you know, it really cools the the roof. They're just cool. (laughs) Next week, Sarah tells us about your cat's steering wheel and how finding it can help reduce your allergies. If you'd like to learn more about the site, visit us on the web at petprojectblog.com and to be sure that you get the podcast every week, go to iTunes and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another installment of the Pet Project Podcast. Podcast.